Welcome back to Certain Comfort in Uncertain Times, a look at the book of Revelation that we are filming during the COVID-19 crisis in 2020. And our theme has been that the book of Revelation, instead of intending to lay out a roadmap for us to figure out when Jesus is coming back and all the different events that have to take place uh, in order for us to see him coming back, is meant to give us certain comfort in uncertain times. It is written to believers who are living in times of war and persecution and famine and plague. Uh, it, it is written to, to give certain comfort to Christians living in the midst of great tribulation. And last week, we looked at the majority of Revelation chapter 12, which we called the truest fairy tale ever told, as John described to us a story of a woman, a child, a dragon, and a war for the ages. And we see that continue now as he begins to tell us of the beast from the sea and the people of the Lamb. If chapter 12 uh, was uh, similar to a fairy tale, chapter 13 is similar uh, to one of my favorite books that I had to read in schooling, and that's Animal Farm by George Orwell. And in Animal Farm, uh, George Orwell lays out this story of these uh, talking animals on a farm, and he is very much intending uh, to describe in that book the effects of the Soviet version of communism. And of course, each uh, animal in that story can stand for a specific person, uh, whether it's Lenin or Stalin or Trotsky. Uh, but it can also be read without those one-to-one -one correlations. It can be read just as a criticism of the system as a whole, uh, as an allegory that is telling us about the system uh, as a whole. And we see that uh, something similar in Revelation chapter 13. As we come to the story of the beast from the sea, a figure that is very much supposed to be Antichrist. And we are tempted just to read it for that one-to-one -one correlation. Uh, which, of course, it may be trying to tell us. It may be describing a specific person in the days immediately preceding the return of Christ. But more generally, uh, John is trying to tell us about uh, what's going on in the period as a whole between Christ's first coming and his second coming. He is describing the spirit of Antichrist uh, that is around in the days uh, in these end times in which we live. Uh, it, we see this in, in John's first epistle. Uh, in John, 1 John 2, verses 18 through 23, John says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. And so we see that John's emphasis in his first epistle is not on a specific Antichrist figure, but on a spirit of Antichrist uh, that 
uh, permeates the age between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And so while he may indeed here in Revelation chapter 13 have a specific figure in mind sometime in the future, he is also telling us about the spirit of Antichrist who is present and active even today and throughout the entire age of the church. And so we are going to read Revelation chapter 12 uh, verse 18 through chapter 13 verse 10. And I would encourage you to follow along as I read. The dragon stood on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns. And on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. And its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, who is able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. As I said, John's emphasis here is not so much to encourage Uh, believers living immediately prior to Christ's return, but to encourage believers living throughout the entire end times, throughout the entire age of the church. And so this is the spirit of Antichrist that permeates all ages of the church. And we uh, see two different factions of it in chapter 13. Here in the passage we look at today through verse 10, uh, it's very much a political sphere. Uh, the, the rule of the beast is very much in the governments of this world. And then in the remainder of the chapter, which we'll look at next time, it's in the religious f- sphere that we see the spirit of Antichrist arising. But he is describing here the spirit of Antichrist that is sent out by the devil who has been cast out of heaven onto earth, uh, who knows who he has been defeated and is now flailing against God and his creation, knowing that his time is drawing near, as we read in chapter 12 last week. And now we who are living in the church age, those of us who are the people of the Lamb, find ourselves involved in this battle against the dragon and against the beast from the sea, against the devil and the spirit of Antichrist that has gone out into the world. 
And this passage ends with a call to endurance. And so we are going to look briefly at three points from this passage uh, and what it tells us about enduring, about how we stand against the spirit of Antichrist during this time. And the first is that we endure by fearing our God rather than our enemy. We endure by fearing our God rather than our enemy. The beast in Revelation 13 is depicted as something very fearsome. Uh, It's like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Uh, And it is fearsome because the dragon, the devil, has given the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. And that is one of the reasons why this beast is so beastly, why it is so fearsome, is because of the authority he seems to wield. Uh, He has ten horns, and again, the horn is a biblical symbol for power and authority. On its horns were ten crowns, again, other symbols of power and authority. And on its heads were blasphemous names, uh, names that are contrary to God. And so this beast and the dragon who stands behind him are wielding great authority on the earth. And that's why it says the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon uh, by worshipping the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? Uh, They are worshipping the beast using language that in the Old Testament is attributed to God. And so it is the power and the authority of the spirit of Antichrist that is so fearsome. And yet, as we saw last week, as fearsome as the enemy is, in comparison to God, he is nothing. And we saw in Revelation chapter 12 that it is not God who goes out to fight the dragon and his angels. It's Michael who goes out to fight the dragon and his angels. And, and the dragon and his angels cannot even stand against Michael and his angels. And so uh, the devil and his angels, the dragon and even the spirit of Antichrist are far inferior to God. And we see that in Revelation 13. For all this authority that the dragon gives to the beast, John is quick to remind us that the dragon's authority is only a delegated authority. That the dragon has no authority to give of his own, but only the authority that God has allowed him to have as the God of this age for a short time. And so we see that uh, in verse... uh, In verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Uh, The beast is being allowed to exercise authority, or some translations say to wage war. It's being permitted. And it's being permitted for a very short time, for a limited time. 42 months. And so as fearsome as this beast is, And although it seems like this beast is uh, around for a very long time, his authority is delegated. His authority uh, does not come from himself. It does not even come from the dragon, from from the devil, from the enemy. 
And he does seem to reign for a long time. This beast is clearly being uh, borrowed from Daniel chapter 7. This, this, uh, the beast, this government that stands against God's people throughout the end times, uh, throughout J Daniel chapter 7. And yet even in Daniel chapter 7, the beast submits to the authority of God. And here in chapter 13, we say the, see the same thing. The beast is only given uh, a delegated authority for a short amount of time. But not only is he given a delegated authority for a short amount of time, he has already been defeated. And that's the point of chapter uh, of verse 3. One of its heads appeared to be fatal wounded, fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. This appears to be a reference to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the first gospel where uh, God says that uh, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. The dragon and his antichrist has been fatally wounded at the cross. And yet it appears as though its fatal wound was healed. And this is what the world sees. Those who do not have spiritual eyes to see, look at the cross and resurrection. Look at the start of the church. Look at even some of the, the times when the church was flourishing, perhaps, and yet then see the church start to wane and decline and decrease. They look at the cross and they don't quite see the resurrection. They see the tomb empty for other reasons. And so it appears to the unbelieving world that the devil's wound was not quite so fatal. And so the dragon and the Antichrist use this to their advantage and they use this as a kind of parody of the resurrection. That though secularism seems to have been defeated by Christianity, it has risen again time after time after time. And the unbelieving world is amazed and they follow and they worship the beast. But for those who do have eyes to see, again, John's readers here, which is, uh, are believers. This, this is a book written to believers. We know that the, the, this parody of the re resurrection is a parody indeed, and that the devil has been defeated. He has been fatally wounded. And though it appears that the fatal wound was healed, it has not been healed. And so we endure by remembering that the dragon, uh, his bark is much, much worse than his bite. We endure by fearing our God rather than our enemy. That is fearsome as the beast might look, as strong as the opposition to us might be in this world. That as much as uh, the world system and the governments of this world might stand in opposition, might put themselves up in the place of God. That their authority is delegated and limited and but for a time. And that the one who stands behind them is suffering from a fatal wound that cannot be healed. And so we endure by fearing our God rather than our enemy. Secondly, we endure by hoping in our Savior rather than than our circumstances. We endure by hoping in our Savior rather than our circumstances. We see the importance of verse 3 in this reminder 
that our enemy has already been fatally wounded as we progress through the passage. Because not only does the beast have all this authority, not only is he receiving worship that only God should be receiving, but then in verse 6, it began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. We see two sides develop. And there are only two sides. There are those who side with the Lamb who was slaughtered. And there are those who side with the beast from the sea. And the beast is allowed to blaspheme God's name. He is allowed to stand in opposition to God, to put himself up in the place of God, to rule over all the nations, uh, the, all the tribes, peoples, language, languages, and nations. Again, this parody of what we see elsewhere in Revelation of the worship that is given to the Lamb. And there is a temptation always for believers um, to side with the beast, even in ways that we don't know, instead of siding with the lamb. And we do this by where we put our hope, where we look to for our security. Because what you see here is the beast has all this authority and all of this power. And everyone worships the beast. Everyone falls under the rule of the beast. Everyone takes the beast's side except those whose names from the foundation of the world have been written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. And again, we read this chapter and fixate so much on the Antichrist that we miss that this chapter is very much about Christ. And as we see in the book as a whole, the emphasis in Revelation is not so much on the return of Jesus, although it is, the main emphasis of Revelation is on the cross. And we see that here in chapter 13, where the focal point is in verse 8, that all those who live on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. The focal point of human history is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the cross that makes all the difference. It is the cross that provides shelter from the beast and his war on the Lamb's people. And so we endure by hoping in our Savior. We endure by putting our security in our Savior and not in our circumstances, not by looking to try and change our circumstances, not by looking uh, to the circumstances and the, the culture and the environment around us, not by looking to the government which has been infiltrated by the beast, but by looking to the Lamb. And we see this also in verse 6, where if you will notice, the beast began to speak blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his dwelling. His name and his dwelling. And notice what his dwelling is. His dwelling is those who dwell in heaven. And again, we're not up in heaven at this point. We are here on earth. And so... And as we've seen in previous passages, when it talks about the, the temple, the dwelling place of God in Revelation, it is talking about his people. And so the beast is blaspheming not only God, but his people. 
And that's what it means by the dwelling of God, God's people here on earth. But notice how John describes his people. He describes him as those who dwell in heaven. Here in the midst of this description of the battle between the devil and the beast and the people of the Lamb, John reminds believers living in these times that their citizenship is in heaven and not on earth. That their security is rooted not in the fact that they are citizens of the United States of America, but their security is rooted in the fact that their names are written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. Their security is rooted in the blood of Jesus Christ. And their trust should be in that blood as much for their security as for their salvation. And that they must look to the cross of Jesus Christ uh, as their hope in the midst of the end times. Looking to the cross of Jesus Christ to be their certain comfort in uncertain times. And that is what John is reminding us, even living in 21st century America, a month or so from a presidential election as we are filming this episode, that our comfort is not in our politician or our political party taking office. Our comfort does not come from our financial systems or our healthcare systems being restored. Our comfort comes at the cross of Jesus Christ. Our security is found in the fact that our names are written in the book of life. Because that is the only security that is to be found. Everyone worships the beast except those whose names are written in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. Grant Osborne says this is one of the supreme paradoxes When Satan takes the life of a believer, Satan is the one who is defeated. For martyrdom is the supreme victory over the cosmic powers. This follows the pattern set by Christ. When Satan took control of Judas to lead Christ to the cross, he participated in his own defeat. When he conquered Christ, he was conquered by Christ. And that is the pattern that we see in these chapters in Revelation, in chapter 12, in chapter 13, uh, in, chapter, in chapter 11, in chapter 11 and chapter 13, it talks about the beast waging war and conquering God's people. Uh, and it uses that, that word conquer, that they have overcome God's people. And that is how it looks to the outside observer. It looks like the powers of this world, led by the dragon and his antichrist, have overcome the people of the Lamb. And yet sandwiched in between chapters 11 and chapter 13 is chapter 12, where John uses that same same phrase, that same word, conquered or overcome. In chapter 12, verse 11, which we looked at last week, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. And what John is telling us in chapters 11, 12, and 13 is that it's okay if it looks like the church is being overcome, like it's being conquered by the powers of this world. 
because it is precisely when our hope and our security and our trust is so rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ that we do not love our lives to the point of death. It is precisely when we are able to allow ourselves to be overcome by the powers of this world that we actually overcome the powers of this world by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. That is what we cling to living in this time. We do not cling to our earthly security. We do not cling to our earthly citizenship. We do not cling to the powers and governments of this world to protect us from being overcome. We cling to the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, being faithful to the testimony of Jesus Christ, knowing that it is even in death that we overcome. That just as when it was when Satan seemed to overcome Jesus in putting him to death, that he was in fact overcome by Jesus. And so for us who are following in the way of Jesus, it is when it looks like we are overcome by, by the dragon, by the beast, by the powers of this world, that we actually overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, for we do not love our lives to the point of death. And so we endure by fearing our God rather than our enemy. We endure by hoping in our Savior rather than our circumstances. And we endure by fighting by the Spirit rather than the flesh. We endure by fighting by the Spirit rather than the flesh. This passage ends with a call to the church. Uh, And we know that because verse 9, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And this should immediately call us to remember those passages in chapters 2 and 3 where Jesus spoke directly to his church and said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so verse 9 starts with, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And so this is the message for the church that's being summarized now in verse 10. If anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. Chapter 13, verse 10, is the equivalent of chapter 12, verse 11. It is the equivalent of they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. And here John is saying, if anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. In other words, John is saying, remember that all of the authority of the beast is delegated by God. It is given to him temporarily for a time. But God is ultimately the one behind everything. And so he is calling the church not to violently resist whatever the beast may do to them. He is saying that there is nothing that the church can do to uh, supersede God's purposes for them, for human history, any more than the beast can do something outside of God's will. John is telling the church 
If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If you are being taken into captivity, go into captivity. If you are being killed by the sword, be killed by the sword. And this does call for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. That word faithfulness in Revelation is always attributed to Christ and the martyrs in the face of persecution. John is telling the church not to violently resist persecution, not to love their life to the point of death, but instead to trust that they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. Again, the focal point of Revelation, the focal point of Revelation 13, the focal point of human history is the cross of Jesus Christ. And those of us who follow in the way of Jesus Christ are called to the way of the cross. And we are called to submit ourselves even to death as Jesus did to remain faithful to the testimony of Jesus. Grant Osborne again says, while believers decry evil and refuse to follow the wicked injunctions of the beast, they must passively accept their lot of suffering. This is an important correction for those who see the book of Revelation as a call to active violent opposition against evil regimes. We are the messianic army of Christ and we will fight back, but our weapons are not the weapons of the world, but have divine power to demolish strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10.4. The saints fight back with bold witness, as in Revelation 11:3 to 6, and accept whatever happens to them as God's will, if to captivity, to captivity, if to the sword, to the sword. It is Yahweh who fights the war. Our task in it is to be faithful and persevere in witness. And so we endure by fighting by the Spirit rather than the flesh. We do not take up the beast weapons in an attempt to wage war with the beast. Instead, we take up the cross because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, not loving our lives even to the point of death. And so as we close today, and again, especially in this season that we're in, if you're watching this on the day it gets released, we're less than a month uh, from the presidential election. Uh, and whichever side of the aisle you fall on, whatever uh, your views may be, the question that this passage calls us to answer is what does it look like for us to be a faithful and persevering witness to the cross of Jesus Christ? Not to be uh, a witness to our preferred presidential candidate, not to be a witness to our preferred political party, not to be a witness to anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ. And what does it look like to stand in the midst of this battle and be faithful to him, trusting that he is not only fighting the war, but he has already been assured of the victory. There's a common uh, illustration that's used that the cross of Jesus Christ was like the Normandy invasion on D-Day. Uh, and although uh, the Normandy invasion did not officially end the war, it made the, the end of the war certain. And yet there was still much fighting that occurred afterwards until the, the end became official. And we are living in that time period between the Normandy invasion and the Allied 
victory. And the victory has already been won. It is already assured. And Yahweh is the one who fights that war. And so our task, as Grant Osborne said, is to be faithful and persevere in witness. And so take a look at your social media posts. Take a look at your conversations with friends and family and loved ones. Take a look at where you spend your time and your money and your energy. Take a look at what you are bearing witness to. Because it is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome the spirit of Antichrist that has permeated the world at this time, not loving our lives even to the point of death. Thank you for joining us, and next time we will look at the rest of Revelation chapter 13, which includes the mark of the beast.